What is up, people? It is the For Mandalore podcast. I am your host, Nick Ashton, with your esteemed co-host, T-Bob ah. bear here. We are here talking all things The Mandalorian, this epic new show coming out on Disney+. Plus. T-Bob, how are you feeling about this, man? I, and I am not exaggerating here, Nick, um, I have goosebumps coursing throughout my body. I love talking about Star Wars. Um... You are someone who has like impressed me to, to 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 a crazy degree with your passion for Star Wars, with your knowledge of Star Wars, specifically even your knowledge for Kotor and 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 Mandalore and a lot of things we're going to talk about on this podcast. I think the show looks incredible. Um, there's so much to dive into. Yeah, no, I, I have literal goosebumps coursing through my body. I love talking Star Wars, and I am so excited to do this each and every week with you as we uh, as as we watch this show develop. You know, man, and and you know, one of the things we're talking about before the show is we're not afraid to get long form, and I'm really no. happy to do that here. Um, and I guess to to kind of jump right into this series, we know that the Mandalore is going to be set. Um, between episodes six and seven, yes. we know it's going to be seven years after episode six, according to CNET. Six years after the Empire finally falls at the Battle of Jakku. Mm. Um, what does that mean to you for the background or the exposition of the Mandalorian race as a whole? Because we we see coming into this that uh, the Mandalorians are not expanded upon a lot in the movies. You know, well, I wonder. So, I, like a good starting point, and and uh, I, I love where they're setting it too, time wise. By the way, because that is where. I have a lot of my biggest questions. I know you said that they're going to kind of explore things like the rise of the First Order, and that is something that, if you watch Force Awakens, like that is kind of a huge, um, a huge mind to delve into in that movie. Is like, okay, after the Emperor falls, how did this kind of crazy militaristic, uh, like, like the First Order is different than the Empire. The Empire only seems as evil as it does. Because we see the guys at the top, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of the people are Empire, just people out there trying to make it. Right. Um, the First Order is like evil top to bottom. Like right. they are using literal mindless brainwashed slaves to be their stormtroopers. Right. And, and they have, and yet they have enough resources to build a planet as a weapon. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens there. Uh, before we get there real quick, because... Maybe because where we're pushing this, we'll have a lot of people who maybe don't know the most about Star Wars. Um, I don't know. Do like? Do you think a lot of people know that the character Boba Fett, like, he's in Mandalorian? I think a lot of people see the Mandalorian trailer and they think that that's Boba right, Fett. Right, it's not. Right. He's in Mandalorian armor. Right. Right. And, and so I guess maybe expound on, just give us a basic view of uh, of who the Mandalorians are because I don't think that is very well known even amongst your average Star Wars movie fan because no, right. they, they don't go into it. You're right. You know, it's not because what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the Mandalorian race is a a term that's thrown around a lot in the Star Wars universe, but people don't realize as often that Boba Fett and Jango are not true Mandalorians. You know, they 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 claim to be, but the real Mandalorian race is, goes back thousands of years in Star Wars lore. You know, we're in the Star Wars universe where we have different races and different people that come from different worlds. Um, Mandalorians go way back. You yeah. Know, as, as, as far as uh, Star Wars history does. So do you know in the original trilogy are like, okay, obviously we know, uh, not even in the original trilogy, but in the movies right now, we know that Jango is um, 
the basis for all the clones, and that Boba is just a clone without the um, who's allowed a little more free will, right. like without the checks and balances. Jango is allowed to raise him as a son. Uh, do we know why Jango has Mandalorian armor? Like, are the Mandalorians still a force out there at the time of the prequels? At the time, they aren't because the the real big uh, change that happens with them is is through the history of Star Wars. They they get really big, you know, around the Kotor era. Yeah. Um, as you see in some of the comics and some of the games. Um, and Knights of the Old Republic. You gave me an excellent uh series of comics to read. In the Coach Warrior, but how many thousands of years is that before the movies that people tend to know? It'd be around 4,000 years. Okay. Yeah. And at the time, Mandalore is the other, you know, major competing galactic power along with the Republic. Right. So the Republic and and the Mandalorians were actually getting into it at that point. You know, they, the Mandalorians started some small skirmishes in Outer Worlds, hoping the Republic wouldn't notice. And and by the time they did, they had conquered a good majority of the galaxy. Wow. That leads to the big war that sets up uh, the Revan and Malak era um, that we, that we know through the Kotor series. So, um, really what I think takes place there is you see the Mandalorians kind of rise and fall. After their defeat, Revan kind of promises that um, there won't be, you know, another Mandalore because of what he's done to him. And, and Revan, by the way, is a, he, was a, he was a Jedi. He was a soldier uh, for the Republic. And um, in that, you kind of see the Mandalorians kind of die off a little bit. Yeah. You know, in the era that we see the comics, um, they're a little so bit more So is Revan powerful. leading the Republic forces against Mandalore? He's leading a, a sect of Jedi that have kind of broken off. The Revan-chist? Or, or yeah, how do you yeah, pronounce kinda it? Yeah, kind of the Revan-chist kind of. The um, Revan-chist. They, they are a group of Jedi who don't believe that um, staying out of the Mandalorian Wars is the right choice. So yeah. The Jedi Council at that point in the Mandalorian history... Um, has gotten to the point to where we're not going to interfere. Which know, is the, classic Jedi exactly, shit. Exactly, exactly. Like 100% <laughs> formulaic, exactly what they do. And and Revan looks Revan looks at the situation and he goes, this isn't right. You know, we, yeah. we need to step in because the Republic's going to fall if they don't. You know, you see like at the Battle of Malachor where, you know, things really get to a head, like it's a problem. You yeah. know, it's a serious problem. And, and Revan, you know, leads that sect of Jedi, um, you know, and, and you see the change really happen at that point. So... That that's kind of our, our background knowledge exposition to the Mandalorians up to that point was that they'd gotten to the point to where they could challenge the Republic, but then were defeated. Now, real quick, um, because technically Kotor is not canon right now, right? It is not. That's like, correct. and 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 so I I still think that a lot of that history will end up maybe even if it's slightly altered, will still end up being in this. Maybe we'll learn more from the show Mandalorian, um, but Clone Wars is canon. Yes. And I'm I'm trying to rack my brain because I love the Clone Wars cartoon. I think I think the Clone Wars cartoon makes the prequel trilogy uh, leaps and bounds better. It does because of yep. the context that it, it provides. Like after watching the cartoon five seasons of which I'm very excited, they're finally finishing the story mm-hmm. um, on Netflix. But after watching it, when you go watch Revenge of the Sith and you then see the 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 break in the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin, it hits you a million way harder times harder way harder because you've been through all these adventures you've seen the relationship that they formed how close they were uh and that's just you know that's just a function of when you're making a movie you don't always have that time and George Lucas not always the best when it comes to dialogue and eliciting human emotion not, not, <laughs> uh, not always it's not, not, always. It's not necessarily his his strongest suit but uh but but uh, I'm, so I'm trying to remember back Mandalore is still a force somewhat in the Clone Wars um, I want to say they're definitely a planet because at one point Obi Wan goes there and is he in love with the girl there? I'm not sure. I think they're still around, but they're not a uh, 
They're still militaristic. They're still nomadic, but they're not a they're not a galactic power. No, anymore. They're, they're they're not as much. And um, you know, at, when you look at some of the history, you know, he goes to investigate there because there's uh, an army being built. Um, is kind of okay. That's why Obi Wan goes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's kind of his motivation. And um, he uh. Mm. And it's the Duchess yeah, yeah. Satine Kreese yeah. that he's uh, that that he's fallen for. I just googled right. it. That's right. right. And and that's that's actually some great Clone Wars insight into Obi Wan. Right. Because Anakin um, obviously allowed himself to love Padme and have a relationship, have a kid. Obi Wan had that same sort of relationship with Satine, and he took the path of yep. the Jedi and, mm-hmm. and 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 sacrificed his his own feelings and emotion to. Serve the galaxy, right. if you will. Right. You know, and, and we see that as kind of like a, a crucial point in that series. But when when you get back to to what's happening in in this world, where you know we're, we're a couple years post what is going on, um, I think you start to realize how uh, this race is kind of devolved from what they once were. You know, you can see some of that greatness um, in the original Mandalorian Wars plots, like those kind of things. Will will carry that race to a certain point, but it won't get them, you know, at, to the point that they ever were again. They won't ever get back there. And 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 it is, I mean, some of these shots in the comic book that you sent me, um, the scale of these wars are just fantastic. Like Un- the fleets, like they are. I mean, it is massive. It reminds me of like uh, when you read back in the day about like the Punic Wars and Rome and Carthage being the two major superpowers at the time. Uh, basically battling, battling for control of kind of the known world at the time. That's a lot of what's going on here. Here's a question I have. So we keep referring to the Mandalorians as a, um, as a cohesive race. Mm-hmm. Yet in the KOTOR comic books that you gave me, uh, they seem to be indoctrinating a lot of different... It seems like it's almost more of an ethos than it is like a single race That's of true. aliens. That's true. Because cause they're capturing people and they have armor for all the different races and basically there were like six tenets that the guy was laying out like uh, where it's like you know, you'll 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 raise your kids for in the Mandalorian. You'll fight first. You'll blah blah. And you'll follow these six principles, and right. you will be Mandalorian. So it's not necessarily it's a single ethos, single mindset, but it's not necessarily a single species. They, they've evolved from that. So okay. in, in the past, they were a species that came. Uh, they were humanoid. You know, they were not exactly humans. Um, as they've evolved, uh, they've created languages. They've created culture. Um, and you see that a lot in Kotor when that per, uh, the little girl stows away on your ship, um, the Evan Hawk. She's speaking Mandalorian, and you have no idea what she's saying. So you have to mm. like go through a series of like a mini game of figuring out how she's speaking, what she's saying. Like they have their own way of taking a certain group of people, like you mentioned, indoctrinating people, and making it into one cohesive group. Yeah, you know? and 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 you've seen that in in real life armies uh, in the past as well, where like. Um you think about a force like, uh, if you ever read about like Cyrus the Great, like some of those old Persian forces or Darius. Uh, my guy Dan Carlin does a hardcore history podcast, which is my favorite podcast ever. Uh, I love Dan Carlin. He's been like a leading light in my adult life. But he describes the old Persian Empire as like an amorphous blob. Mm-hmm. And they would allow, you know, they, they as long as you paid taxes and fought in their army, you know, you kind of do what you wanted. But you were, you know, you had to fight for the Persians at the end of the day. And so when they would come to battle, you would have... All kinds of different looking people, right? Different skin colors, different kind of armament, different traditions, different cultures. And and while Mandalore is a bit different because they seem to, you know, they're taking people and they're kind of indoctrinating them into their culture, it is going to be kind of a um, 
at least in the KOTOR era, it's kind of a grab bag of different species. Yeah. And, and from a conquering standpoint, that becomes very effective because the people you conquer then become your new soldiers. Exactly. And so, like, every time you, you, you take someplace over, uh, you, then they get, you, you then get that much stronger. I think that's a, a spot-on comparison because it's kind of exactly what you see happens then. And, and as we transition kind of into the, the era that the Mandalorian is set in, we see a different group of people. You know, the Mandalorian kind of follows this single guy who's, who's going around and kind of doing a contract-based thing, bounty hunter-type stuff. Um, and we see that through, uh, like, Boba Fett and Jango Fett were, were the two that came before him. Yep. We know that this is set, obviously, later. But um, at that point, you know, what what are we looking for in this new character? What what are we going to... Because obviously we have no expectations. You know, yep. we, we have nothing laid out for us to say who this is or where he came from. Is he going to draw anything from those characters? Is he going to, you know, have the Tamara Morrison, you know, accent? What, like... I, What's not, a Tamara Morrison accent? Oh, see, so it's like kind of New Zealandish. You know, that's how he talks. And, oh, um, oh, like Django. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like so Django, that, yeah. that, that yeah. wait, so that's the technical Star Wars term for what is? I mean, like you said, what well, is yeah, like, it's, it's, what it's is like basically a New Zealand yeah. accent because yeah, yeah. the guy was a Kiwi from. I mean, right, he, right, right. he's a Maori from New Zealand. Shout out Kiwis. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of you know, I guess that to me has been the calling card of that group of people. Yeah. In, in this era, at least of, of, of Star Wars, because you know, in in a. Obviously, in Kotor, Candorus, who is a Mandalorian, doesn't speak, you know, Kiwi. But yeah, um, it's kind of, I guess, the calling card of what it's been, and I think that's what most people will recognize. In I wonder though, because isn't Pedro Pascal playing the Mandalorian? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I believe he is of uh, Mexican descent or I Spanish. I can... We'd have to look it up. It doesn't matter. The point is, um, not a New Zealand, not right. not a yeah, New yes, Zealand yes, accent. Yes, so yes, like, exactly. I'll, I'll, that, yeah, I, I don't know. You only hear that one snippet of his voice at the end. Yeah, of the and trailer, I, I don't right? think it's enough to really to tell. Yeah. You know? Um. Okay. So so a little more on the Mandalorian's background, and maybe why. Bounty hunting fits them. Um, they are a nomadic people, right? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of constantly on the move. Uh, they are. They remind me of Sparta in that they seem hyper militaristic. Yes, like everything is about it. Absolutely. And yeah. and there's some fascinating insights in the books you gave me where, uh, what's his name, Rolo or Rola? Why am I Roland? Blanking? Roland. Yes, yeah. where Roland's kind of saying like everything, all of their worth is almost derived. From combat right. and from combat prowess, he definitely does a deep dive when he's taught when he's on the ship and yes. kind of just describing his lifestyle. You get a really unique insight, and it's interesting because like even though he's technically a traitor, they don't like kill him on the spot. Right. They just throw you back in the front lines, right? And they make you go try to die in battle. It reminds me a lot of. Uh, you think back another, just I don't know why I'm drawing so many historical comparisons, but like Viking history, right? Why are Vikings so successful on the battlefield? Uh, because you have an entire culture built around it. Like like the most dominant guy gets the women, gets the resources. Uh, the only way to go to heaven in Viking culture is by dying in battle. That's how you get to Valhalla. If that's your motivation, then you're going to create, you, you're going to be hell of a fighters. Exactly. Now, and, and so then it becomes cool because when you apply that to Mandalore, you're talking about that, but on a galactic scale. Right. Like Viking armies were like kind of small raiding parties, right? Mm-hmm. It was rare they get super large. This is one of those type of cultures writ large, and it almost becomes just this mindless, like killing machine where all they want to do is fight yeah. just constantly. And I think that that kind of snipping into who they are and who they are as a race 
can give you a really good idea of what this character's motivations are going to be as he goes throughout the series. I think you see some of the actions that he takes. I mean, because obviously we've seen the trailers. They are epic. They yes. are just, you know, bloodbaths. Like, you know, they take the quarren, he shoots the door, and it... Oh, my God. Like, like, that kind of stuff. You get an insight into, like, you know, wh- why does this character have this motivations? Because if that's, you know, his descent and that's who he is, you know, that's that's what's going to determine his actions throughout well, the series. Well, I, I, I mean, I watched the trailer multiple times yesterday, so I should remember the line, but... Is that Werner Herzog that's talking or whatever? It doesn't yes, matter who he is. He is the um, he, he has the Imperial War Medal on and stuff. Mm. I think he's uh, he's probably like hiring him for something. Yeah, or whatever. I, but, I think he's a crime boss, is what it. I okay, well that makes sense. So, but he's basically telling um, the Mandalorian, he's like, you know, you're surrounded by enemies or whatever. They're all coming for you. And then doesn't he say something like, like, good? Yeah, good. Like, yeah, good. good. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah. And then they show yeah. the clip of him walking out. Uh, like knocks and shoots one dude, takes a little glancing blow off the shoulder. I love, goes, I love oh, that, dude. Yeah, it's, dude. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, so so just from the trailer, this looks like a guy who is living by those classic Mandalorian Absolutely. Uh, tenets. Absolutely, I guess you could say. And I think, um, you know, like I said before, once you know that, you you understand what he's going to do and why he's doing that. Um, I think that's pretty important. Um, okay, so I guess so, so. So that's a little bit on the the Mandalorian history and kind of how we got to where we're now. So, so okay, so this is between episode six and seven, right? In that time period, because um, Clone Wars would have been what sixty years before that, thirty years? I would, yeah, roundabout the thirty, forty years, right? Roundabout. Um, so Mandalore is still a planet at that time. Yes. So, so they, so are, are you? We, we maybe are expecting that there should at least be some stuff about the Mandalorian culture and planet as a whole, along with him. Considering that it's canon because of the Clone Wars, yes, yeah, I, w- I would fully expect that's a good that, point. and that's that's something that I would really hope gets expounded upon because you know, at, as you know, we see the Kotor being pushed further and further into legends material. I really, you know, this is just a personal opinion, but I really hope that isn't lost. You know, like I really I hope it isn't. Because, I mean, I think there's so much depth there. And I think if, if you ever played Knights of the Republic and talked to Candorous, you know, just had those dialogues with him, like, about his philosophy and the Basilisk War Droids and the war stories, like, all that stuff, like, wow. gives you chills, I've never bro. Played, like, I've never played KOTOR, but you're making me want to play it desperately badly. It is badly. absolutely one of the greatest video game experiences you can ever have. Um, that's just, I mean, it's my opinion, but... Uh, but But it is an opinion that's supported by many. I mean, like, Star Wars fans are notoriously hard to please. and absolutely. And... Everybody loves the KOTOR story. I mean, right. even when the game came out, that was all the rage. You look at, um, but but aren't now they, there's a couple shows that are. Is there a show or a movie being developed in that time period? There's been you know leaks about it. Um, I've seen an article um, talking about the people who are writing it. Um, apparently it is in the works. Um, but I I don't really have any. I don't think anyone has any you know confirmation as to when or what it's going to be about. And so if I had to guess, I think it would be. Similar to some of the stuff that we've seen the old extended universe go through where they've kind of taken elements and yeah. brought it over. Um, however, in the in the in the sequel trilogy, I think they've really only taken like echoes like it hasn't been uh, always maybe as direct as fans of the extended universe would want. KOTOR seems so cohesive outside looking in. I hope they take a lot of it. Yeah, because I mean, it, for me, it's kind of a, a all or nothing deal. I think, really? you know, it, it, and that's just my opinion because of how how emotionally tied I think I am and a lot of people who are, are emotionally invested in the series are. It's like, 
if you're going to take one or two elements, like we see the the new uh, troopers um, that are Kylo Ren's personal army in the new movie are the, the Knights of Ren. We're yeah, exactly. finally getting the Knights of Ren, and and you see like wait, the, what kind of armor do they have? It's like all red. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and and that I think that kind of lends from the Sith elite troopers um, in in Kotor. They kind of extremely similar armor. So so is the pathway then in the red armor? Are those the same? Is that kind of also lead into the emperors? Uh, Red Guard from the original trilogy. I, w- I would think it borrows more influence from that, but I think that's kind of the fanboy in me wanting it to be okay. a pull from the Sith Trooper. But I think if you kind of look at the parallels, you can kind of draw that. But if you if you look at because Red Guard has always been right there by the Sith, yeah, right? Even, yeah, even yeah, with Snoke, right? right? They, right. The, the epic fight scene in right. uh, in in the Snoke throne room right. with Rey and Kylo. I mean, they are battling the evolved version of. The uh, the the Emperor's Honor Guard. Yeah, and I think I think any you know Star Wars fan can see that that tie, which is important to, to recognize. But I I just you know I, I would hope that they. It's interesting. I never realized that red was the traditional color of the Sith Guard, mm-hmm. and it's it's I, I just really uh, I, I enjoy that little tidbit. But you know, looking into the uh, I guess idea of taking from the Kotor universe or, or that kind of thing. You know, to me, like I said earlier, it's kind of all all or nothing thing for me. But yeah. um, if they're gonna um, kind of blaze a new path, if you will, for the Mandalorian race, I, I don't know what you would expect to see. You know, I don't know what what is the the ideal <laughs> way of expounding into this race that already has so much backstory. Yeah. You know, I I think when you when you look at the way that they've treated some of the storylines in the past, obviously people have been less than satisfied. Yeah. Um. And and it's something where um. I, I I think that I would lean towards them kind of sticking with a lot of what KOTOR did, if not everything. Just because the Clone Wars, it sounded like Mandalore was the Mandalore that was expressed in KOTOR. Right. Like in terms of being militaristic and the emphasis they put on fighting and everything else. And I, I, my Rebel snippets, I need to rewatch Rebels because there's some reason... I. I'm trying to remember why old girl has Mandalorian. I think she's an escape Mandalorian, basically. But, but like everything that I have seen from canon Star Wars stuff would, uh, or it certainly feels like it's based off of the old Mandalore uh, that you were talking that, that you're talking about and explaining. So, I guess we're hoping for the best in that regard. I, yeah, I, I would hope so. And and kind of to to get into what we're talking about, like Kylo's guard and all that kind of thing. We we talk about the way the First Order has come about and the way that they are what they are. Um, do you have any kind of fan theories as to what might have happened in, you know, 23 years? Because that, that's kind of the timetable we're working with yeah. from yeah. six to seven. You know, what what could possibly have, have jump-started this unbelievably huge conglomerate that no one knows so where what it is yeah so i i and i should be painfully clear um i have not read any fan theories because i like to if i know i want to watch something a lot of times i like to go in with as little of information as possible and and i like like i like like casting stuff and directors and writers and i like what we're doing right here um but i don't always like going into a ton of theories on the internet because a I want to form my own kind of ideas and and sometimes those ideas end up being right and then it's like oh well I already read that that kind of sucks right. so this is actually something that I've thought about on my own but I've never read anything about mm-hmm. and in terms of how the first order could rise um I mean what I see is yes the emperor dies okay um 
does that mean that the empire goes away necessarily? I mean, I guess it does because Force Awakens tells us that Curacao and the Republic comes back because then obviously they get taken out again. Right, like, right, right. It yeah, seems yeah. like they're in power because right. that's who they're attacking. Um, what what is a bit surprising to me? It's it's kind of what I expressed at the beginning though is the first order seems super powerful to just be like a rogue uh or like a splinter group or a rogue mm-hmm. sect so i i'm i i'm guessing that it kind of goes like this where the emperor dies um it's kind of like a cut off the head of the snake and the body follows situation there's no especially with darth vader out of the picture there's no great successor ready to take his place uh i probably see a ton of squabbling in between the people trying to, I mean, you see this in the empire throughout history as well, you know, squabbling between the people trying to lay claim to that empire. Um, obviously, that leads to division. Uh, I think a return to the Republic come through that. I mean, maybe one of those voices aligns themselves with the Republic, right? It, right. That's fighting for power. And they say, okay, well, I'm just going to do what the old Palpatine did. I'm going to become head of the Republic and right. we're going to bring that back. Right. And then you have your kind of militaristic fashion, you know, your, your most hardcore supporters um like you you know you're committed ss guys if you want to think about it through a nazi comparison right? right the guys who are fully bought into hitler's bullshit right uh those guys then break off into a giant military sect and and i'm guessing there's a lot of them or at least they had a lot of resources at first because obviously they have a ton of success to rise in the manner that they did one thing i got real questions about though and maybe Finn is at the first wave of these. How do they create the amount of brainwashed stormtroopers that they have by the time we get to Force that's Awakens? A, that's a major question given the timetable. Because that's they major, have they have point. to raise. I mean, they'd have to birth these babies like right after the Emperor oh, yeah. dies like instantly, yeah. and then they have to have them brainwashed fully, really for years, even before you get to Force Awakens, because that's who they're conquering the world with. Yeah. Unless I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm assuming that the First Order is well-known in Galactic at this point. Maybe they poured all their resources into Starkiller Base, and they're a little more contained than we're thinking, and Force Awakens is their coming-out party because they come out and destroy Coruscant and everything. But um, but that's why I'm so excited for this show, right. because hopefully those are kind of some of my ideas off the top of my head, but hopefully we get some concrete answers. That's really what I think The Mandalorian is going to be for a lot of us fans is giving us that bridge. You know, because we've had yes. the novels, we've had the unofficial stuff um, that give wildly alternate uh, ideas and, and timelines. But I think having this actually set in stone, you know, for better or for worse, is going to give us something to work with. Do you think that Thrawn plays into these at all? Because I have, um, I, I just read the first Thrawn novel. Excellent, excellent. And I'm on the novel. second, and it's really good. And Thrawn is a fascinating character because he too is not, and he's not inherently evil or anything. Right. He's just kind of. Well, actually, to be fair, because I haven't finished second novel, I don't know exactly what Thrawn's motivations are. But it mm-hmm. seems like it's to put the Chiss first and foremost and do the Chiss play into right. it. Like, there's a lot of great characters in the new established canon. Um, and I know Thrawn's one of the carryovers, I think, mm-hmm. too, from the extended universe. He's just taking on a new form a bit. Uh, but there's a lot of great characters that they could work into this. And they've they've explored this time period a bit with Darth Vader. Well, no, I guess that would have actually been before. Where is Thrawn? At the end of Return of the Jedi, I wonder. I, I don't know, actually, now that I'm thinking out loud. Because he's on, in the second novel right now, he's on missions with Vader. Right. So this is obviously, um, 
during the original trilogy. Maybe it's like Rise of the Empire somewhere around there. Um, that'd be really cool, though, if we got a Thrawn on screen. Do we ever get an Ahsoka big screen debut? You know, that was one of the things when I was doing some research last night that they were bringing up is that um, through some of the rumblings, you know, in past years from like 2015-ish, through the canceled games, through the canceled series, that was one of the storylines that stuck out as people were hinting to is like, well, you know, we could get it in this way, we could get it in that way. Like, it's, it feels like something that... And she's in Rebels. Right. I mean, so it's canon. It is canon. So we, we just need to, to figure out where they all kind of fit in. But I, I think I think it would not hurt the series at all to, to do some background on those characters. I mean, I feel like as much as this show is The Mandalorian, I feel like for a lot of us, it's, you know, the context that yeah. it's going to deliver. Like, it's going to... It's going to give us so much more to work with in that in-between period that we've never really known about. I agree. I agree. And it's one of the cool parts about the whole Disney Plus push, which, like, yeah, you man, you can get really, like, cynical about, like, um, yes, Disney is slowly taking over our lives through, like, entertainment <laughs> and nostalgia, and they own everything and all this, but... If you just let go of that and give yourself over to it, it is an incredible time to be a Star Wars fan. Absolutely. Because you are getting, I mean, pretty much all great content at, at, at a crazy rate. Now, mm-hmm. they obviously had to slow things down because maybe they oversaturated things and whatever. I don't want to get into the reaction of The Last Jedi. I love The Last Jedi. I really like Solo. Um, I guess I'm just a fanboy because I, I just like it all. I right. mean, yes, some are better than others, but but I really do like it all. And but that's what's exciting about the Mandalorian, and so let's talk about the actual real life elements a bit. Is that, uh, I mean, it starts with one name for me, and that's John Favreau. Absolutely, John I mean, Favreau's writing. He's he's the writer, correct? Yeah, correct. And I think you know you pointed out how you love Solo. I think the fact that his you know lovable character that he played in Solo will will transfer over well. That, yes. that personality. You know, I feel like we'll. He we'll was. What was his character's writing. name? The pilot. He's so good uh, with his forearms that he's floating all and not. Rio forearms. Durant. Yeah, literal four arms. He's he four arms. Uh, yes, and he's like uh, just climbing all around the cockpit as he's cracking jokes. So he's so good. Solo is a fun movie. It is a very good movie. I wish. I, like I still wish that Disney would have let Lord Miller do their original vision because I hate when kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, like suits get involved in the artistic creative process. Right. Uh, but Ron Howard still did a good job of landing that plane. Um, so, but it starts with John Favreau, dude. So he's writing this, and when you look at John Favreau's, I, I love bringing this up to just normal people because I don't know if everybody always recognizes this. But when you look at John Favreau's resume, um, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. This guy incredible. is a jack of all trades. I mean, you start with, like, Boogie Nights. This is a guy who wrote and directed the original Iron Man, a guy who wrote and directed Elf, a guy who wrote and directed Chef, three wildly different movies that are all absolutely spectacular. Uh, Four Christmases is fun. I can't remember if he wrote and directed it. He was in it. Either way, um, not just him from an acting standpoint. Like, he's great as an actor. He's very funny in everything he's in, and he can play serious as well. But from a creator standpoint, you are hard-pressed, and then even, like, he kicked off all these new Disney live-action remakes I don't really care for, but with Jungle Book, which is one that reviewed higher out of any of them. Right. And so, like, he can do it all. And so when you have him and his passion and talent applied to this product, yes, we're getting new Star Wars, and I would love that even in a vacuum because we're getting new Star Wars, but I also have the excitement now that we're actually going to get, like, 
like well-made Star Wars. Yes. And, and the preview looks incredibly well-made. They definitely put resources behind it. Um, this is a, even though I know that all these streaming services can be a bit overwhelming right now, a shadow benefit is that everybody's busting out their war chest, right? right like, right. like Amazon's got a billion dollars behind that new Lord of the Rings show they're making. <laughs> um, 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 Disney obviously put hundreds of millions into the special effects and the production values of this. And so we do, that's, that's where I get back to the golden age of Star Wars that we kind of live in is like, look at the, the Star Wars television specials or, or, or kind of TV uh, attempts at the past, and it's not even close to the scale of what you're going to witness with The Mandalorian. No, I think an important point that people make, you know, whether or not you like Episode Eight and, and Seven and the new movies is there has never been a more objectively beautiful Star Wars. In episode Eight? Yeah, I mean, just like in terms of visuals. Yeah, I agree. Like, there, there's no... Agree. There's no any time in Star Wars history, we can go back and say, you know, X looked better than that. I mean, watching that movie. So in Baton Rouge, um, you ever been to celebrity theaters? Yes. Uh, so they did a huge renovation. And full disclosure, I did ads with them for like two months to push the renovation and push Last Jedi when it was coming out. Um, I am not paid by them regularly. Uh, I love movie theaters, though. And... They actually built a badass arcade in there, too, which is very cool. But they built these two theaters that are PLF theaters, premium large format theaters. These things are, first off, the screens are IMAX size. They are unreal resolution. I can't remember the exact sex, 4K. But they have this Dolby Atmos sound system. It might not be even Dolby, but they have this Atmos sound system. They have 108 speakers in there, and it's laser projector. It was... It's it's the most technically advanced theater I've ever been in, and watching Last Jedi on that when they blow up the dreadnought at the beginning of that movie, it oh was one of the most visually stunning sequences I've ever seen. And this is not to disrespect the old films because the old films special effects hold up spectacularly well. I I love those films. I always will. Um, but as you said, the Last Jedi is at the the cutting edge, cutting edge, and it's a great combination of something that Lucas got away from so I've seen Peter Jackson get away from it's a great combination of practical effects and special right. effects that really make it make it right. click and I, I think just to add on uh, that scene with the, the hyperspace uh, through the ship was oh. I, I just took my breath away yeah like the the lack of sound just made it on, on, on can't really put into words how amazing it was but we really hope that production value gets carried over and I, I think it will from the preview it looks like it yeah, does it, it, nothing it, yeah. about those shots look cheap no absolutely not I mean even look at I, I love using Game of Thrones as an example because at the beginning Game of Thrones effects were kind of shit right and then HBO, you know, they obviously knew the, the worldwide success they had in their hands and they knew like okay we need to start committing resources to this and you saw it get better and better because of Disney's resources and because of how badly they're trying to break into this streaming thing, like they're starting even probably above where the Game of Thrones endpoint was right, in right. terms of commitment to effects and making the pro- overall production values. That's probably the main point, not just CGI. Overall production values are going to be incredibly high. Um, now, so let's talk about some other uh, other names involved in here. Uh, we mentioned John Favreau. Am I seeing Taika Waititi in here? Is that correct? I believe you are. Oh, my God, dude. That is another one of my favorite names in Hollywood. I mean, uh, have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? Yes. Yes. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, Thor Ragnarok? Incredible. Um, so who is who is Taika, who is Taika in, in this? Do we know? Uh, let me take a look. 
for all you Breaking Bad fans in there. So, so, so Nick has written out a list here of the cast members that we know of. They've got Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian, Giancarlo Esposito, who played Gus Fring and 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 Breaking Bad. Uh, we get a shot of him in the trailer as well. Yes. Um, Gina Carano, MMA fighter from Deadpool. Carl Weathers, love it, Werner Herzog. I mean, dude, this is a this is a great cast. Absolutely, and and uh, Taika will be IG eighty eight, which I see no! going, which I see oh, going yes! so well. Who, by the way, if you don't know IG eighty uh, eight, and this is what I love about Star Wars is the original movies didn't even always know what they were doing. No, um, in that they were. I love Luke's world building technique, where it was kind of let. A lot of the world speak for itself and not explain things. And so when you have an empire scene with a bunch of random bounty hunters where it's obvious, they're just like, okay, just do a bunch of crazy designs and we're like, put them in the room. Now you have IG-88 who's just like goofy ass looking vertical robot (laughs) that's a bounty hunter. Only he looks badass in the preview. Oh, dude, it, he's like gunning down four oh people at once, God, like at once, he's, like he's like spinning all around, his head's <laughs> on a swivel. Uh, okay, okay, so that's gonna be Watiti. Yep, he was really funny as the voice of the rock guy in Thor mm-hmm. as well. So you know he's got some vocal acting chops. Absolutely. Oh man. Um. So uh, Nick Nolte's in here. So a really good cast, which I think is always a sign of uh, an interesting cast, like a, like a. Like like uh, an odd kind of grab of people. I mean, we already mentioned Werner Herzog. It's very so. diverse. It is very diverse. Yes. So so who is who is Herzog playing? Uh, he's playing the crime boss with the uh, Imperial. Uh, Do we war know? Medal. Is this a so to draw from Solo? Is this a uh, what is it? Uh, the Crimson Sun? Uh, what what what's, yeah, what that that Maul is leading? I believe so. Um. Do we know what crime kind of faction that Herzog's Crimson in charge Dawn. of? Is, is yeah. it Crimson Dawn? Yeah, I, I do not know if he has a specific tie to them, okay. but it would not surprise me. And I, I I don't think Maul would have a huge role. I mean, you somebody's got to take over for Jabba as well, right? Yeah. I, I don't I'd, know who takes over the Hut Empire after Jedi in which Jabba gets it, but somebody has to. I think that's a, another really valuable uh, link we're going to get out of this series is finding out what's going on in between you know the two different, completely different storylines. Yeah. Like, like we're going to find out who is running the show and or who's not running the show and how yeah. how awful things are going. You know that that could be cuz you know if, if the universe is going to get to the point where we have another first order and things are not at peace, obviously something's going very wrong. So I I want to find out what that is in this series. No, me too. Um Yeah, it's crazy to think about, man, cuz like I said, like when you're a little kid and you watch the movies, you're not just a little kid. When you watch the movies, you know the emperor's dead. Okay, good times return. But that's not how it really works. No. All that means is that the emperor is dead. Right. <laughs> you still right. have that's it. you still have an empire uh, that's still doing things all across the galaxy that either you do or don't agree with. Um, so the 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 potential, like, like we said, the potential for the show to really give clarity and 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 provide context that is desperately. Needed. I hope that this can achieve the same things that the Clone Wars cartoon did for me and that Rogue One did for me. Now I'm actually not as high on Rogue One as I think most people. I like it. Like I said, I like them all. But it's it's not among my favorite. But one thing it does do, it makes the original trilogy better with how it fills in the gaps. I, I do I agree with that, and I, I love how it rolls straight in New Hope. I mean, mm-hmm. I went straight home from Rogue One and turned on New Hope just because. Um, that's another that's another scene where your chills are off oh. the charts, like absolutely unparalleled in oh. any other art form 
That when scene Vader's where, just going oh my god, <laughs> you, I, I, you know, it's another, it's another one of those things where you can't, <laughs> you can't express it in words how hype you're getting. It's like, it's like you're seeing like a huge sack he for looks, like a twenty yard loss. You're just like, dude, let's go. He like, looks terrifying. <laughs> when he has the one dude up, my favorite part is when he has. He he's 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 thrown one guy up on the ceiling mm. and he's holding him pressed against the ceiling with the force and as he's walking underneath him kind of as an afterthought he just reaches up behind him and cuts him in half with his <laughs> lightsaber like are you shitting me he looks like a tank he looks terrifying and you know what's funny and I'll just go off on a tangent here um I you can tell I just get so hyped talking about Star Wars but it reminds me of I loved uh the new Star Wars Battlefront one. Yeah. So not I never played the originals actually, but the new Star Wars Battlefront one. I know it wasn't the most reviewed, but I loved it. And I specifically loved uh, heroes versus villains, and it mm-hmm. was a game mode in which three people started as heroes on one side, three people started as villains on the other side, and then it was six on six though. The other three would be normal soldiers mm-hmm. on each side, and and they changed that in Battlefront two to where everybody's heroes and villains, and it completely ruined the mode. Uh, how it used to work though, you know, so three and three. And then as a hero died, you would start spawning as a regular soldier or a villain. But what that led to is I understand the fear that those guys felt in that room. Right. Because when you're playing that game as a regular soldier and you round the corner and there's Darth Vader, you're terrified. (laughs) Like you are immediately jetpacking backwards. You are trying to get him to not pay attention to him. And then maybe you could take some pot shots at his back. But if you shoot at his face, he'll deflect it into you. He could force choke you. He could saber toss you. Like, it, it it was it was such a good it did such a good job at evoking what it feels like to be just a regular grunt going against these larger than life characters and to me yeah that Rogue One scene uh, perfectly encapsulated those feelings right. and I think uh, Battlefront One OG like two thousand four two thousand three had a, a mode when you were doing um, either I think it was a campaign game and you would do uh, you know just it would be troops on troops right yes and the other side would get a leader. Yeah, and the leader is actually invincible. Like you cannot kill him. Oh wow! Like, I did not realize. Like, yeah, that. like Vader on Tatooine and Dooku on Kashyyyk. Like you cannot. You like you can shoot. Like you can shoot at him. Like it was so funny. You know, six year old me sitting there shooting Count Dooku with like uh, an attack droid, and he would just like <laughs> fly thirty feet across the map, land on the opposite island, stand up, and just start mowing people down again. It didn't matter what you did. It was totally helpless. And then uh, two from uh, Battlefront two from two thousand five did what kind of you said to the modern Battlefront 2 did, which was uh, if you went on Tatooine and chose the assault attack mode, yeah. uh, it would do all heroes, all villains. So it, and, it, and, and and to be fair, like how, how they handled, I actually do like parts of Battlefront 2, how they handled hero spawns was maybe a bit better in that like, instead of a random pickup on the ground, which is what it was in the new Battlefront 1 from 2015, 16, whatever it was, um, which isn't bad either way either, but but in the new one, it's actually kind of cool where you accumulate points just by playing, and then you basically purchase the ability to spawn as that hero, and that's a lot of fun on the big battlefield. Um, but even then, because there's so many players involved, if you're not good, it can get real easy to just get ganged up on, and then you die like right after you spawn. You're like, oh well, you know, I, it, 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 it to me it didn't quite evoke the same feeling. Even though I will say this. Battlefront 2, a lot of flaws. Pay to win in a lot of ways. Uh, terrible with the loot box. And I'm talking about the new Battlefront 2, not old Battlefront 2 that is beloved. Uh, but 
the game looks gorgeous. Like, if you're a Star Wars nerd, it's still worth checking out just because you get to live and see a lot of the environments up close that you've never quite seen before. Um, okay, I feel okay. My bad. I feel like I got us off on a huge tangent here. That's fine. Talking about Vader. Let's let's zero back in on the Mandalorian. Uh, so we mentioned the great cast. We mentioned the, the 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 writer. What do you know about the directors of the episodes? Now, that was kind of the big the big push I wanted to get out of this episode is finding out uh, your opinion and my opinion on what this decision will kind of the fallout from that decision will be to make every episode a different director. We have Dave Dave Filoni, uh, Taika Waititi, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Rick Famu Famuyiwa. I'm sorry. Uh, Family, I don't yeah. know. Deborah Chow. Um, all different directors. Um, and I so pop- this is interesting, though, because I recognize Filoni. He's a guy that always wears a cowboy hat, right? Have you ever seen him? Mm-hmm. Or it's like it's kind of like a – it's like a – it's not like a traditional 10-gallon hat. It's a little – whatever. He always, I just can see him in my head. He's always right. that. Uh, you have it right here. So he created Clone Wars and Rebels. Filoni did? Yes, he, and he he's making kind of the jump to doing a live action. I think he's probably going to be the best choice – that you could have made to be the the director for uh, the first episode because you're getting someone who's created the canon yeah. that currently exists, yep. and he's having the chance to transition into this new world. Like, I, I think that's that's probably the best choice they could have made for for that first episode. Um, and then uh, you have uh, Taika Waititi, who we obviously always talked about, mm-hmm. already talked about. It's spectacular. I did not know he was directing an episode. That is awesome. Bryce Dallas Howard's interesting. Uh, an incredible actress in her own right. Um, that's cool. Her getting into the director yep. chair. Yeah, do you know of anything she's directed? I, I not off the top of my head, but yeah, this is kind of you know big credit to CNET for for compiling these lists. This is kind of just our our little research document here. But we, I guess the big the big point, rather than the specific individual directors, the one I wanted to kind of ask you and kind of expound upon yeah. is, will this create fallout like? the fallout that came after episodes seven and eight where you had different directors? You know, are, are we going to see... Although we, I understand that this is on uh, a different scale. It's a week-to-week scale, Yeah, right? It's not, you know, you see one movie in 2015, you see the next one in 2017. Like, it's 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 much uh, it's much more macro. Or, I'm yes. sorry, mi- micro. Yes. So what what is your two cents? And I'll, I'll, I'll say what I think. Um, but what is your two cents on... Because we've seen this in the Star Wars universe already, where we've had a different director and there's just been an absolute, you know, storm. I, I, I would say this. Um, I think you hit one thing on the head, which is the, the scale of it makes it different because TV is used to this. Like generally, right. may, like Game of Thrones has different directors, maybe not every episode, but almost every episode, right? right? Yeah. Like there's not just one director directing the entire season. Right. And it's it's because how crazy the demands would be mm-hmm. uh, to do something like that. So so this is already kind of established, I think, in a lot of prestige TV. Um, and I think what really went, maybe what uh, caused so much reaction as far as going from Force Awakens to Last Jedi um, is that people are so precious with the Skywalker saga and everybody has a ton of preconceived notions about what should happen. Um, and I think especially when you look at the character of Luke, right? Do you think that's due to the amount of time that it's had to marinate? Uh, time to marinate. Um, cause, like those fan theories have been swirling for decades. Yeah, you know? Skywalker saga has been going on since the 70s. So time to marinate. 
time to talk about it, time for people to form very concrete ideas, extended universe novels that people would have used to inform a lot of their ideas that are then, you know, no longer technically canon. And I think the character of Luke specifically is one to highlight because I think a lot of fans had very clear ideas of what they wanted Luke to be. And um, they wanted him to be like a swashbuckling uh, hero, here I am to save the day. And that's kind of how it seemed like J.J. was positioning him Mm -hmm. in that first movie. Mm -hmm. That said, I think, just for me personally, um, I don't think that makes sense. Uh, I don't think it makes sense with the character of Luke for him to have been like, for him to have been that swashbuckler uh, for a couple of reasons. First off, He's hiding out in Force Awakens, right? If Ray shows up and Luke's just like, well, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's go fight. Well, then what's he been hiding for the entire time? That's a good point. Then he's a coward. A then point. he is a true coward. The only reason him hiding out makes sense is if he truly believes that it's what's best for the galaxy. Like, if he's just doing it because he's waiting on someone to come get him or something, well, that's cowardly because he's letting his friends out there fight the fight and die while he's sitting back. He has to truly be a broken man or he has to truly believe that it is what's best. And let's also look at this. What's the history that Luke is pulling from? Um, His master's master, Yoda, ended up disgraced and alone as a hermit. His master, Obi-Wan, ended up disgraced and alone as a hermit. All Luke has seen is his life is the Jedi screw things up. I mean, for all the respect that Yoda gets, Yoda was a puppet of Palpatine. Yoda led and and helped to orchestrate a, gal- a galactic war in which the guy that he is taking orders from is literally the leader of the other side. And yet he's supposed to be the most powerful Jedi. And that's how badly the Jedi are getting played. They led to the creation of the Empire. They played right into the Sith hands. Um, he sees a similar kind of turn in Kylo Ren. So here you have a character in Luke who all he's seen his entire life is everything. He kills the emperor and what happens? The first order rises. Like all he's seen his entire life is everything he tries to do always fails no matter what. You also have to remember too, what is the entire takeaway basically of Return of the Jedi is at the moment when he has, he's at a crossroads and he can give in to action and to violence and to taking things into your own hand. He's, he's beat down Vader. He's cut off his hand. At that moment, Luke accepts peace and being passive and trusting in the good of others. And he doesn't kill Vader and he doesn't give in to his feelings. He doesn't let the hate flow through him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so for that to be kind of the takeaway and then for you to want him to go be this swashbuckling, let's kill him all type of hero, I don't think that makes sense. And then plus, he becomes a martyr at the end. He becomes something greater than just one person fighting on the front lines. And like, they're not even subtle with it. They hammer it home with a little kid at the end of the movie talking about the legend of Skywalker. And I know this is a rant, but it's a rant because I feel like there is a huge disconnect between what a lot of people wanted out of Luke in, in that movie and maybe what they should have expected. This is all a very long way of saying People are very precious with that original material. And so that's why I think they found it so jarring what happened in The Last Jedi. Whereas in The Mandalorian, it is a clean slate. And so I don't see all the different directors being any sort of issue. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it'll be fine. I, and I, you get a lot of cool artistic views on it. You're going to get like little directorial tweaks here or there, episode to episode. I think those, like you, like you mentioned, the tweaks are going to 
play more into the favor of this series than they would into those movies yes. or into the trilogies because like you were explaining the the, the preconceived notions of what we thought was going to happen as soon as it didn't as soon as the director wanted to to change the narrative it was you know all bets are off this is ridiculous yeah you know i, I think uh combined with the macro scale of this um sorry micro again the the micro scale of the timeline of this series yeah like, i think your point of the different interpretations, they're going to just add more flavor. Yes. I, I, that's just my, my opinion, that it's not going to lead to the big you know firestorm that we had around that trilogy. And, and it's interesting because I feel like directors on TV shows don't have story input as much like directors on movies, right? Uh, like Ryan Johnson wrote Last Jedi along with directing it. Uh, while, while I'm not saying that, like I absolutely think that uh, each director will bring their own touch to each script. It's still going to essentially be Favreau's script, right? Mm-hmm. They're almost there from a more technical standpoint. Yeah. They're there because they can be trusted with a giant production that needs to create an hour-long episode of prestige television. Right. Right. They can be trusted because when you think about the hats at a director where it is massive, you have so much on your plate. And so getting someone with that experience is huge. And so... Yes, I think also because they won't necessarily um, be affecting the script that much, even with some stylistic tweaks as far as how it's shot episode to episode, I think the cohesion of the story will likely remain intact. And to be fair, uh, look, Ryan Johnson took Last Jedi in a lot of different directions, and it seems like what Abrams was setting up for. I happen to approve of those directions. I get if people don't, but that was why it was so jarring for a lot of people. I don't think Mandalorian director director will be as jarring. No, you're right. And I guess the the big final thing I wanted to to hammer home is who is Mandalorian? We, we, yeah. We, we I want to speculate on this before we get some actual concrete evidence because we've seen virtually nothing to suggest what this person is, where they came from, who they are. Are they a phony? You know, do they just have the armor? You know, are, are they actually a descendant? Kind of like, so, and, and like you said on Boba and Jango earlier, I mean, right, technically they are... They're not technically Mandalorians. They're not technically Mandalorians. So what What? What do you want to see, I guess is my question, because there is no wrong answer in this, in this speculative stage. Once we yeah. get to really break down the character... You know, we probably won't know a lot for the next podcast, but maybe the few the few next ones we'll get more of a deeper dive. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I think there's two episodes that come out the first week, right? Yes, there is. Yes. Uh, we will do two episodes. We're gonna do one episode, or we'll do one episode of this show per episode of the show. Yes. Uh, as far as what I would want, um, I'm with you. I want Mandalorian history. I want him to be a Mandalorian. I want to learn more about, uh, you know, and, and that'll give us some insight into maybe what's gonna happen with Kotor, right? Do 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 they talk about a nomadic militaristic people God, and so. and yeah yeah and and please say and <laughs> now like and, and and so yes that's what I want I, I I want the history I want him to be a Mandalorian I want a little bit of history maybe he's like a Roland type of almost Ronin type of character that's like a samurai out there on his own but is still kind of you know living by the samurai warriors code at the end of the day right. so I, I would like him to be of the Mandalorian race. And I think we, we we had a really great quote. From, what do you wait? What do you want to see? Well, I, I think it's, it's kind of similar. Um, you know, when I mentioned the quote from Favreau, is that Star Wars meets Mag Max, oh, and like yeah. I, I want that to That's kind great. of. That's a great pitch. Yeah, I feel like you can't have 
a a character who's a phony living out that lifestyle. Like I want him yeah. to have those ideals. Like I want to I want to hear the word basilisk at least five hundred times. But of course, it's not going to happen. So what is basilisk? It, it, basilisk. It's it's a war to. droid that they they use to ride into battle. That Candorus Ordo in Kotor uh, gives you some epic stories about. Like it is. The, oh, the, really the, the language and the imagery in those games and those conversations is is legendary. But I I, I want to I, I want to know that that still exists, man. You know, I, I want I want it to be validated. I want who we're gonna meet next week. I want him to be someone that comes from this tradition, comes from this line. Yeah, you know. And I, I know that the the kind of recent trend in Star Wars has kind of been to buck some of those ideas that we've been thinking, but. You know, I guess it's my my wishful thinking that that we get to get some insight into that. And I, I don't think, I mean, why I think that it may be, like you said, because we just spent a whole time talking about how Ryan Johnson bucked a lot of Star Wars type expectations, and I think that was good for the Skywalker saga. Could sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, and I would say I would like them to draw on, like you said, the more established lore of Kotor that they have. But the advantage that a Kotor has is, like you said, there's thousands of years there, right? right. So you don't even have to necessarily get into the specifics of the old. Like you could, you can, I, I, I guess you can, uh, you kind of in broad strokes, you can establish that that is what you're drawing from if, if you're worried about fully committed to it like if disney's worried about fully committed to it you can still certainly make it feel like this character comes from that very realized history even though i don't know how specific that'll end up being uh in the end because it is one of those untapped sources that you have left yes. in the legends universe where it does tie into stuff you've talked about in the main series before like the the, the first trilogy and the the sequels as well like we do have source material that can correspond to that if you choose to to make it a part. But I I, I really, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's my real hope is that we get some kind of link or some kind of tie to where it validates some of that source material. Um, I agree. I, I, I hope so as well. Okay, I, I just got distracted by a random thought in my mind. Uh, we don't expect... Do we know how Darth Maul's story ends... Because the last time we see him is in Solo, which is yes. obviously pre-original trilogy, and he is the leader of Crimson Dawn. Right. Do we? Is there? Is there any established canon about how his story ends? It's not my area of expertise in the in the lore, but I would imagine that we don't have like an exact idea of where he ends up. Yeah, because I I, they, I, I still don't think he factors in here because he would be so old. I don't know what the lifespan of his race is, but right. it's just something to keep an eye on. There's a lot of players that are kind of. That could potentially show up in this show. That said, I don't want them to become too like uh, married about trying to jam as many as those in as possible, yeah. right? Like make like the galaxy over the seem top big. Fan service, yeah, 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 yeah. No, make the galaxy seem big. Maybe you catch little snippets or echoes or cameos, stuff like that. I would like it to focus on the Mandalorian though and his adventures and the past that he's pulling from. Because what I've seen from the trailer so far is that there are Trandoshans and there are Quarrens. Yep. Yep. So the Quarren is the guy that gets totally like you know chopped down the middle in that door when that amazing scene. Yeah, they're the ones with the. Um, I guess a few Star Wars races have tentacles, but it's like coming like straight off your chest. Yes. It's like a beard. Yeah, it's like it's a like beard. A, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 exactly. And then the Trandoshans are just total badasses. Like if you have ever played uh, Knights of Republic, that's like again, Boss, right? Uh, like the, the yeah, people. yeah, yeah. And they um in in Knights of Republic when you do some kind of you can go to this this option to go to this like trading uh, post off of the in the orbit of Yavin, I would say. And at some point in the game, you get encountered by a group of them who are trying to rob and murder the 
the storekeeper. And they're like and, some slavers and almost yeah. uh, pirates. Et I, right. Well, the only reason I say that is um, one of my favorite lists that I ever made in the X-Week miniatures game was a scum and villainy list where Bosk's uh, Trandoshan slaver ship mm-hmm. was uh, one of the ships in the list that I was right. flying. Right. And it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, so wait, wait, so okay, so what were you saying though? So they try to come kill yeah, you. Yeah, their fight is just one of the hardest in that entire game because yeah. there's about there's four of them. They're all grenadier specialists. They all have repeating rifles. Like they all have things that will just like end you. Like like it, it's really that fight is is really I think underrated in, in the lore of that game. But um, knowing that they are still a, a part of this uh, this series, I think it gives a lot of material for. Um, the Mandalorian to fight and to give you know a reason like say hey these slavers did X Y Z I need you to go do this like that that gives you a good base for missions I think would be kind of their role. So far and in what's interesting about the Empire is I feel like with what I've read that slavery is technically illegal in the Empire unless it's the Empire secretly doing it behind the scenes to yeah, like build yeah. the Death Star and yeah, stuff right yeah. like because they publicly will prosecute you for engaging in slavery but then they have wookies rounded up building yeah, the death star yeah. for them um i can't wait man look when you exist in a a when you are the mandalorian and you are a bounty hunter what that means is there's gonna be a lot of badasses everywhere oh, yeah. and like you mentioned you mentioned ig88 you mentioned the trandoshans um the fact that gina carano like you said an mma fighter uh, you know, she's going to be a badass. Mm. So, yeah, you're going to have just like it's almost going to be like the full realization of that scene from Empire with all the bounty hunters right. on the bridge talking to Darth Vader. It's like, what's next? It's like and we're then, finally getting yes. to see what that crew's day to day life is actually like. And I honestly could not be more excited for it. Next week is going to be one for the books, I guarantee you. Where is Dingar? Do we see Dingar? I, I hope so. Man. I, I don't know. Um, another ship that was dominant in the X-Wing meta for a long time was Dingar's ship. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but I love Dingar because it is one of the kind of, and I, I hate to say this, but it's kind of one of like the laziest designs I've ever seen. But because, uh, just because of how awesome Star Wars is and how big it got, he, you know, he's taking on the life is over. Really, it's just like somebody's like, hey, let's wrap like... Toilet paper around that guy's head. Give him a little, like, kind of thrown together armor and a gun, and he'll be he'll be good to go. The punishing one. Uh, that's it. Yes, that's the title. That's the title. I, I'm yes. trying to remember what the actual ship is uh, is called, though. It's got this weird, like, U design in the cockpit yeah, on like, the a, left side a of it. Jumpmaster Five Thousand yes, is the, the Jumpmaster Five Thousand. Man, that's if you play the X Wing miniatures game, you probably hate the Jumpmaster Five Thousand. It <laughs> ruled the meta for a while. There It was really bad. Um, yeah, and then isn't Dingar's story like swoop bike racing with Han and stuff? Like he has a big history with Han. I think so. I'm not. I'm not as into that lore, but do I, would, we I would imagine. See any Han? I mean, do we see any of the trilogy characters, or at least I, I'm guessing you hear snippets of them? I doubt that you actually see any of them straight up. We've established that Han is around. We and he lives in that world. Yes, he I, lives in these scum and villainy type of world. I would not be surprised in the least. I just don't know who they get to play him. What do they go with Alden Eichenreich? I mean, I know that's such a toxic situation that can you, but I thought he was fine. I thought I thought he was good. I thought he was charming. I, just, I liked I him know. by the end of that movie. I think if they if they put some badass plot in there that you know absolutely blows the audiences away, I, I would love to see him in there. But it would I, be cool. 
But you're right. It's it's such a dangerous line to walk between fan service and making something good, and you don't want one to come at the expense of the other. Like Are, you don't want fan service or fan service sake sake. As you said, if it makes sense, do it. If it doesn't, don't. If we're if we're not, you know, adding on to the lore for for the sake of making the lore better, why are we doing it? You yeah, know? straight up. All right. Hey, I think that's, I think that's it. Well, man, I am incredibly excited to start breaking down these episodes starting next week. Um, this is the Four Mandalore podcast. Um, I am Nick Ashton. He is T. Bob Abair. We are so happy to be here talking Star Wars with you, and we cannot wait for the next episode next week. That's it. We'll see you then for Mandalore. <laughs>